Hello, this is the Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I am your host, Rebecca patterson Linehan. I am an assistant district attorney and trial team chief in the Midland County District Attorney's Office and currently serve as the District 17 representative on the board of directors for the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Today, I am talking with Brittany Ray, another assistant district attorney here in Midland, about getting your evidence in front of the jury. Brittany, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about you and where you worked before you came to Midland. Before I came to Midland, I worked as an assistant district attorney in Harris County. That's in Houston, Texas. Uh, I worked there through law school, so I was an intern for about two years. And then once I graduated law school and passed the bar exam, I started as an assistant district attorney there. I was in a misdemeanor division for a little over a year. Then I went into felony and then came back down as a misdemeanor chief. Shortly after that, I started working in post-conviction writs, and then I came here to Midland County. And you've been here in Midland with us for a few months now? About six months, yes. Okay. So our topic today is talking about how to get your evidence in front of the jury. So just to start with, what is the point of putting something into evidence? The point to putting something into evidence is to give your jury the information they need to make a decision on what's going on. It's something that you are trying to prove, and in order to prove it, you're going to give them evidence. They can't consider it unless they see it. So that's what you're trying to do in trials. Give them as much evidence as possible to look at. And I remember uh, being preached to in law school over and over again that the key to getting evidence in was that it had to be relevant and it had to be authentic. Absolutely. You've got to have both of those things. Basically, something is relevant, meaning it's going to help the fact finder, which is your jury, um, to decide one to decide something one way or the other. So if something is not relevant to what you're discussing, then it's not something that they need to see. So that's going to be the first hurdle that you need to get over is relevance. Um, authenticity is a little bit different. That means that something is the thing that it purports to be. You have to prove that it is what you're claiming it is. You can't just get up and say, here is the gun that was used in the murder without proving to the jury that that is the murder weapon. So that's what authentication is. And I know that I tell juries all the time that the testimony you hear from the witness stand is evidence just as much as anything physical. But today we're talking mostly about not the witness testimony, but that actual physical evidence, right? That's right. Okay. When we talk about having to prove relevance, I feel like that's probably just case by case. It just depends on what your facts are. Absolutely. Um, A lot of times things that you are entering are going to have something to do with the case. If the other side believes that they don't, they can question that with an objection. And at that point, you would make your argument to the judge about why this is relevant to your case. And then assuming you've gotten over that hurdle, proving authenticity can be done a number of different ways. That's right. It's going to depend on what type of evidence you are trying to admit. And so when I say the word predicate, what does that actually mean? Predicate is going to be the questions that you need to ask in order to properly admit your evidence. 
So depending on what evidence that is, the predicate is going to change. So what is the chain of custody when it comes to proving the authenticity of a piece of evidence? So usually evidence is going to be collected at the scene or it's something that came along uh, during a specific time period and that's going to go into the relevance and how it applies to your case. Chain of custody refers to how you can prove that the thing that was collected then or at some other time is the thing that you're showing them today. You have to be able to show who first collected it and where it's been and how it got here today in front of them. And then as far as things like business records, are there different predicates or is there a different way that you can get business records into evidence that you may not be able to use for other pieces of evidence? Business records are a little bit special. Uh, Usually business records are going to be things that are kept in the regular course of business. So documentation that companies will keep. Even medical records can sometimes be considered a business record as well. Those can usually be entered by affidavit, and that's going to be a way of authenticating those records. You get an affidavit from the custodian of those records swearing under oath that they are what they purport to be. And so is that business records affidavit just a different way of proving that predicate? Yes. Instead of having this whole line of questioning that you go through to prove it up, you can simply offer the affidavit, which is the sworn statement from the custodian, and that proves up the authenticity of that document. So what types of problems might you face with authenticating social media evidence? Because in today's world, I'm sure that there are lots of different types of evidence that you get from someone's Facebook or someone's Twitter or someone's Snapchat. Um, So in this new age of technology, what types of issues are we going to face with authenticating that technology? Well, I think the problem is just that. How do you prove that it is what we are purporting it to be? How do you prove that the person whose name is above the post is the person who actually posted it? So, going back to live testimony in the courtroom just for a minute, um, let's talk about hearsay. So you've actually got a witness on the stand, and they want to testify to what someone told them, whether it's what someone told them at the scene or what someone told them in a prior meeting, but it's a statement made outside of the courtroom. Is that where all those rules of hearsay come into play? Yes. So hearsay is any statement that's made outside the courtroom that's being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted. You can't get on the stand and testify about something you heard someone else say. You can't get on the stand and testify about things that you said outside the courtroom. That's also hearsay. Um, There are some exceptions to that, um, but in general, anything offered for the truth of the matter asserted that was a statement made outside the courtroom is not going to be admissible. And so what is the point of the hearsay exceptions? Why are there delineated exceptions for statements that aren't going to be deemed inadmissible because they're hearsay? The purpose of the hearsay rules is to keep out information that may not be truthful or trustworthy based on the source. And so there are exceptions to that because sometimes you're going to have certain statements that based on the nature of the statement it does make it more truthful. And that's what the purpose of the exceptions is. It's not that if it fits in an exception, it's no longer hearsay. 
It's just that the point of the hearsay rule doesn't apply to this particular statement because of the way in which it was made. And do you have a good example for what one of the hearsay exceptions are that might explain a little better why that statement is more truthful or is more reliable? One of the easiest exceptions to understand is probably dying declaration. For example, if there was a horrible car accident and the person at the scene was dying there at the scene and one of the last things that they say is that they saw the blue car run the red light that hit them and then they ultimately die, that is going to be an exception as a dying declaration. And the point of that exception is it's unlikely that someone would use their dying breath to lie. And so that is going to be held to be uh, more truthful or more believable, and so it's going to fall into an exception to the hearsay rule. And one of the things you said earlier was that it qualifies as hearsay even if I, the witness on the stand, am the person who made the statement outside of the courtroom. So you're saying even though it is an out-of-court statement and I'm the one who made that statement, I can't just get on the stand and testify to things I've said. Right, and the reasoning behind that is when you said those outside the courtroom, you were not under oath, but you now are under oath. And so, once again, those statements made and offered to prove something that were made outside of a courtroom were not under oath, and um, you're going to be held to your testimony as, as in court. Unless it falls under one of those exceptions we talked about. Exactly. Now... It's hearsay if it's a statement offered for the truth of the matter asserted. So what if I'm not offering it for the truth of the matter asserted? Could it then be admissible as not hearsay? It could be, but it is still going to have to be relevant to the case. So it's going to have something to do with it. That's why it's generally difficult to get those types of statements in. How do you show that it's not offered for the truth of the matter asserted, yet somehow still relevant to your case? If you can overcome both of those hurdles, then you should be able to get it in. I know the one I deal with most often, which is not codified in the rules of evidence, but it's supported by case law, is that it is offered to show why a police officer did what he did. It's not that we're offering that statement for the truth of what that statement was, but because the police officer heard this statement, therefore he acted a certain way or went a certain direction or looked inside a certain car and it's just to explain why he acted the way he did. And that's a perfect example of how you can get a statement not offered for the truth of the statement, but offered to show something else that is still relevant to your case. So going back to more of the physical evidence and getting that in front of the jury, uh, what are demonstratives? Demonstratives are evidence that you're going to show the jury, but you're not necessarily going to enter those pieces into evidence. And the difference is they will get to see and observe that evidence in the courtroom. They just don't get to take it back with them into the jury room. Um, Can you give an example of what a demonstrative might be? Um, There are several different things that you can use a demonstrative for or what a demonstrative would be. Um, One of them would be if you're trying to describe a scene and the witness is trying to explain how far away they were from something or someone. You can ask the judge for the witness to step down. They can get down off the witness stand and demonstrate standing in one location and pointing to another to show how far away they were from something. Another example is if you wanted the witness to demonstrate to the jury um, the way a scene was laid out. You could have them step down from the stand and and draw on a whiteboard or or a piece of paper 
exactly what the scene looked like and describe that scene to the jury. And you wouldn't necessarily have to enter that into evidence. You could just have it there for demonstrative purposes. I know sometimes we print off maps of the particular location and then witnesses, like you said, don't even necessarily have to draw on the map, but just having the map to refer to, having them be able to point to specific locations on the map gives the jury more of a frame of reference of where the different witnesses were standing, where their different perspectives might have come from, things like that. Yes, and those and those types of things you can use. And if you don't feel that it's particularly helpful to send back to the jury room without that witness there to be pointing and showing them, then that would be something you would want to enter just as a demonstrative, just to show the jury while the witness is there to explain it, but not to take back with them when they go to deliberate. So you're looking at going to trial. You're looking at what types of evidence you want to admit Um, whether physical evidence or testimony evidence or demonstrative evidence, what type of trial preparation would you suggest doing beforehand before you even get into that courtroom and offer that piece of evidence? Well, you definitely want to do your homework beforehand. You want to know well in advance every piece of evidence that you intend to offer. And not only that, you also want to know how you're going to prove that it's relevant, how you're going to prove that it's authentic. You want to make sure that you have the right people, uh, the the right witnesses that you need in order to admit it properly. You want to make sure you've got that chain of custody if it is a a piece of physical evidence. Uh, So you really need to do your homework ahead of time. And what I mean by that is, you know, go ahead and write it out on a sheet of paper. You know, item number one, photograph. Which witness are you going to use to get that photograph in? What is the predicate that you need to know in order to get that photograph in? And, and even more than that, why you should be allowed to enter that photograph. We all know that you can enter photographs for the right reasons as long as it's authentic and relevant and you have the witness to prove it up, but you need to know that in case the other side decides to object to it for whatever reason. You need to have that response ready, and you need to do that for every single piece of evidence that you intend to admit. And so on the topic of trial preparation, would you say that it's important to know your surroundings as well, to know which courtroom you're in and what might be available in that courtroom for presenting your evidence? Absolutely. Say you do have photographs and you want to be able to publish those photographs to the jury so that they can all see them at the same time. Um, Especially if you want to question the witness about that photograph and would like it to be visible to the jury while you're doing that. You need to know, you know, is there an Elmo that you're using? Are you going to be hooking it up to your laptop and showing them that way? How are they going to be able to see that? Um, The same thing with audio or video. If you have audio or video evidence that you want to present, you need to make sure that you understand the electronic equipment in the courtroom and you know how to get that piece of admitted evidence presented to the jury either on an audio audio device or on on the TV, whatever's in there for you to use. You need to know about it and be familiar with it beforehand. So it seems like the key to all of this, whether we're talking about getting the piece of evidence admitted or being able to effectively use it in the courtroom by your Elmo or your um, audiovisual equipment, it seems like the key really is just being prepared and not flying by the seat of your pants. Right. And whatever it, it means to be prepared, if you are not a tech person, if you're not a high tech person and you know you're going to have issues 
uh, with which cable to plug in where, go beforehand. Take somebody with you that understands that, that can show you. The last thing you want to do is get a piece of important evidence admitted, ask to publish it to the jury, and then have to ask for a recess because you can't get your equipment to work. Because why should the jury believe you if you don't look like you know what you're doing? Exactly. Presentation is half the battle. There you go. Well, Brittany, thanks again for being here with us. Thank you all for listening to Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. If you like our show and want to check out other episodes, they're available on our website, tyla.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at texyounglawyers using the hashtag younggunners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode.